This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Today, we're going to talk about raising organized children. And of course, there's a, a book of roughly the same title. And we have Dr. Damon Korb here to discuss it. So, um, Doc, I, I figure we would uh, we would start by just in your book you say organ, organized children are not born; they are raised. Mm. What do you mean by this? Well, we're we're born with a certain capacity, but that capacity, depending on how we teach and we educate our kids, it, it changes greatly. Starting when kids are infants, all the way through adolescence, we keep growing and developing what we call our executive functions, especially. Right. And that's what we're talking about with organization is our executive functions. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little ignorant here. Uh, can you expand on executive functions a little bit? What, is, what does that mean? Absolutely. It's a, <laughs> in my world, it's a popular term, but I, I understand <laughs> that walking down the street, we don't talk about that very much. So it's, it's our ability to organize space. It's our orga- ability to organize time. It's our ability, but even more important than that, to shift flexibly from one thought to the next, mm. uh, to be able to um, uh, control our impulses, demonstrate self-control. Okay. And then one more function called working memory, which I think is the key to all of that. That's the ability to do more than one thing in your brain at a time, which is important for grasping the big picture, showing insight, taking perspective, mm. all those things that we need to do as our young people grow into adults. Okay. Awesome. Talk to me about behavioral pediatrics. So this is, this is what you do for your, your day job, so to speak. But what does that even mean? So I'm a developmental behavioral pediatrician, which means I went to medical school and then I did my pediatric residency. And then just like a pediatric cardiologist would, I became a pediatric developmental behavioral pediatrician. So I did a couple year fellowship mm. in child behavior and development. And we look at how kids learn and how kids behave and, and uh, how the brain grows. When you talk about organized children, what do you mean by this? Because when I say organized, sometimes... I really think of organization as well-planned hoarding because uh, I remember back in my 20s, I was a very well-organized hoarder. And, and so I had boxes and bins. That, this isn't what you mean by organization. So maybe you can, you can clarify. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm talking about organized thinking. Yeah. So it's not just a neat room or finding two socks that match. Exactly. It's about being able to grasp the, the big picture. It's about being able to solve your own problems and to be able to plan. Mm. So... It's been rough for kids recently. Uh, I hear 2020 was a difficult year. And uh, now we're in 2021, and it's a bit of a sequel. And, and whether it is, and with my own daughter, um, you know, the shutdowns, online school, canceled extracurricular activities and sports and various iterations, depending on your geography, the, it's been a weird, weird world for kids. Now, I do find that kids often adapt better than we do. Is, is, that, is that a fair assessment? But also, they may struggle in other areas more than we do. 
That's a big question. <laughs> the, the, uh, there's a lot of layers to this, and it really depends on the child. Uh, on the average, kids are sleeping more, mm. which is cool. Yeah. Uh, on the average, kids report that they're closer to their parents than they were uh, before the pandemic, mm. which is interesting. Mm. And uh, so there are some things about it that are nice, silver linings. At yeah. the same time, kids with mental health issues, kids mm. with autism, kids who have had pre-existing conditions, learning disabilities, are mm. really struggling with online school. Oh. So for some kids, those who already had a disadvantage, I think are being even disadvantaged more by the pandemic. Right, mm. right. And I've just noticed uh, a certain amount of and I think part of this has to just do with proximity. You're not used to being around your kids this much. And so what I've noticed, uh, even in my own life, is, is trying to set up my own boundaries while in a boundaryless space, so to speak. Can we talk a bit about boundaries with our kids? Well, I think it's a good opportunity to talk about getting back to the basics, right? The basics, and this is what I write about in my book, there's five steps. And the first one is be consistent. The second is introduce order. Third is give everything a place. Fourth is practice forward thinking like uh, estimating, anticipating, planning. And the fifth is problem solving, promote problem solving. But if we're at the very basic, be consistent, well, that's what boundaries are about. Mm -hmm. It's about be consistent. Here's the rules. Here's the bedtimes. Here's the schedule. Here's the routine. And kids find security in having that type of boundary placed upon them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, ours is a listener-driven show. I thought we would dive into some questions here. Our first one is a phone call from Josh in Phoenix, Arizona. How do you think minimalism can reach people at a younger age so they don't find out when they're older and it's a lot more stressful to go through. So, Damon, let's talk about this. Uh, we're talking about adopting, he's talking about minimalist practices, but any sort of habit or whatever, it goes beyond the sort of the basics of, of behavior change or habit change. That's obviously a, a byproduct of, of something. But I think a lot of this has to do with, with understanding. And maybe if I were to rephrase the question, Josh's question here, I would say, how do we help our children adopt practices that stick at an early age so they don't lose, so they don't lose those, those habits, right, and suffer consequences in adulthood? I know a lot of my adulthood suffering has to do with uh, decisions that were made 30 years ago or longer, right? <laughs> I um, When you all called me, I, at first I was like, oh, that's an interesting fit. Why are they calling a doctor? And, and the more I listen to your show... Um, talking about minimalism, it makes me think about minimalism parenting. How do you be a minimalistic parent? And I think that's very different than what's going on in our culture today. We all feel the need to get them in the best school and, and get them on the, the most competitive sport team. Even if our kid's not very athletic, we want them on the most uh, competitive sport team. And, and in doing that, that pressure, that push, that, that schedule, the overschedule, the lack of sleep, all that stuff adds up sends a message to your kids. Mm, yeah. And I think as a parent, if you're going to start at the basic, you start with um, what are the most important things uh, for my child to be involved in? What are the lessons I think are important for them to learn? But also, uh, what are they interested in? Mm. And how can I help them find their greatness? Yeah. I feel like with this question specifically uh, uh, targeted at minimalism, I don't think you can tell a kid how to be a minimalist. I think as a parent, maybe you show a kid how to be a, a minimalist. I yeah. mean, kids don't, uh, what does Joshua Becker say? Kids don't do what we say, they do what we do. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, when it comes to these things, uh, we can um, certainly 
tell our kids until our you know faces are red. But really, we I feel like as a parent, you know, I say we, I have no kids, <laughs> but I really feel like as a parent, you have to lead by example, and that's kind of the best way to instill these practices early on. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We we constantly ask our kids, is this important? Mm-hmm. Do you think we should, is it worth our effort? Is it worth our time? Yeah. My daughter's uh, 15, my youngest daughter, I have five kids, which gives me some cred when we're talking <laughs> about this. But um, Not a minimalist there. <laughs> <laughs> Not a minimalist. Um, we, but she's 15 and she constantly wants to be involved. She feels like she needs to be involved in these things to, to uh, get into college, to get mm-hmm. into the college she wants to get into or she thinks she wants to get into. Sure. But, but the reality is, is if you find something you like, you get good at it, you share it with your community, mm-hmm. colleges are going to want you. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting. So she knows which college she wants to go to. Is that, um, like, how did she get there? How did she come to that decision? Was that you saying, hey, you need to go to this college? I'm sure it wasn't that, uh, Damon. But how did she get there to make that decision? How did you help her get there? Yeah, I'm not sure she's down to one college. I think originally her, her, her dream was Duke because when mm-hmm. we toured colleges with my oldest son 10 years older than her mm-hmm. they had fountains that sprayed up by the cafeteria that she liked <laughs> so that was that was what she wanted um and it stuck in the back of her head but yeah. now i think she just is thinking i would like to go to a, i need to get into a good college gotcha gotcha mm. yeah so so when you go through decision making process w- with your kids and, and and we're talking about habits it's I, to me it doesn't it's never about you know i'm thinking about ella here I don't think I've ever tried to instill a particular habit for the sake of giving her a habit, right? I think a lot more it has a lot more to do with decision making and maybe helping helping her make informed decisions. And how do we do that? I think it's through asking questions and, and gathering information, right? So mm-hmm. that, that's when I'm talking about the five steps. That's step five: is how do you teach your kid to be a problem solver? And and part of that is. You give them the opportunity to solve their own problems. Yes. Mm. The biggest problem I think kids um, are rescued from by their parents these days is boredom. Mm. We don't let our kids be bored anymore. Boredom yeah. is a good thing because it's an ever-present problem. So you're constantly practicing and rehearsing and, and getting better on how to solve that. But if you give them a phone every time you have 15-minute wait at a restaurant, they're not having to solve that problem anymore. Yeah. And so their creativity is diminished and their problem-solving skills are weakened. It's a great point. I feel like in this day and age, like being comfortable with boredom is almost like a superpower at this point because there's so many distractions. Yeah, that's a great point. Ella will sometimes say to me, I'm bored, I'm bored. And and I, I know what I say to that and I, I'll, I'll talk about it, but I'd be interested to hear what you say to that or, or do about that. So it depends on the child's uh, skill level. Sure. Um, one of the things, and we can talk about this later about in the book, is you have to know your child's skill level. But in general, to my kids, I'd say, great. What are you going to do about it? Okay. That, that would be my answer is, great. Mm-hmm. How are you going to solve it? What could you do? Now, if their skill level was lower, mm-hmm. I might um, have made plans with them. What are things you could do on a rainy day? And we'd have a list. What are things that, that you could do when nobody is available to play with you? What could you do when your friends come over? Mm-hmm. And, and we'd have these lists. And I'd say, why don't you go check out one of your lists? That way I'm not telling them what to do, but they can go to at least to a little bit of a guideline on oh, where to start. Wow. So like you have them plan in advance. That's great. That's a great idea. Wow. When I talk about understanding, it, it, it different from the sort of how-to side of things because the how-to would be, well, here's – I'm handing you the list of five things to do or here's the one thing, you know, very dictatorial. And, and I know as parents uh, – I don't know if you've struggled with this, but in the past, up until very recently, very, very recently, I struggled with um, – with giving the answer and, and being the sort of 
dictator, not allowing the room for exploration. And and part of that was egoic in a way. It was like, well, I know better than you. And in some instances I do. That's why boundaries are necessary. But I think it I think quite often she knows better than I do. And maybe part of my job is to learn something from her along the way. So it is great to watch your own children. But, you know, I, I think the other reason we do it is we, we just want to help our kids. Mm, right? Yeah. We just want them to, to be happy. And in that moment, they seem distressed. And distress isn't necessarily a bad thing. A little bit of distress kind of drives ingenuity. Mm. And if we take it away from them, they lose that opportunity to solve problems for themselves. Mm. But we want to rescue them. So we say, well, go play with your brother and why don't you go outside? Here's this. You can watch a show. And we, we save them from that, that distress. Yeah, but it's creating future distress in a way, right? Because it's not giving them the skill set that is actually, it's not going to give them the understanding that gives them the skill set to be able to handle on their own in the future. Instead, it creates a, a person who needs to show up and get permission or, or direction every single time. You know, what you just touched on is um, what I see as one of the greatest similarities between the way you all think and the way I do is that parenting is work. Yeah. Minimalism is work. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's effort up front, but it gets easier and makes life more simple as you go on. Right. So if you set your boundaries and set your rules when they're little, it gets much easier. If you train your child to sleep when they're an infant, it's much easier than if you're training them to sleep when they're five or six or seven and can come into your bedroom. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so so many of us get to that point where we realize like, especially I'm sure you you recognize this by having multiple children and each time you've it's almost like that that first kid was a the quite the test experiment right and and yeah I knew very little and and of course if I could go back and redo the first seven years there are so many things I would do differently having the knowledge I have now that's not possible so now at age seven Ella will be eight relatively soon um I do feel I, I feel that constant tug that I have to let go of that that tug of like, oh, I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I would have done that differently. But in doing so, staying attached to that means that I'm not doing the things differently that I need to do right now. It's sort of the this whole the whole Buddhist philosophy of beginning again. You know, it, it, now is the only time I can begin again. I can't go back and and change that. Mm. I think that's why like grandparents are so good to grandkids uh, because they're like it's an opportunity to kind of redo uh, what they did with their with their kids. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful point. I um, uh, first of all, my kids will watch this, so don't let my first son know that he's the experiment. Um, <laughs> but 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 secondly, I've coached a lot of sports. I've coached twenty seasons of youth sports, and and I can tell who's a first time parent and who's not a first time parent. If the first-time parent's child gets injured in a game, they're on the court immediately. Mm. If it's mm. a second- or third-time parent, they know the kid's going to get up and it's going to be okay. Yeah. If it's a first-time parent, they're worried that their child's not getting enough playtime. The second- or third-time parent kind of knows they've got to earn their playtime, and they've mm. gotta, they've gotta, it's got to work out. So, yeah, there's a relaxation, a calmness that happens. But I guess the advice I would give to those first-time parents is, gosh, uh, people have been having babies for a long time, yeah. mm. and, and they grow up into adults. Uh-huh. And for the most part, they're okay. Yeah. yeah if, if you and I turned out okay, Ryan, that, that, that's always the thing with, with <laughs> Ella where I'm like, oh, like there's nothing going to even, there's not going to be any of the turmoil or just a, a fraction of the turmoil that we experienced growing mm-hmm. up. Then, and somehow we, we made it out of that. Yeah. I totally agree with that. You, you were talking earlier about um, letting your kids sit with boredom and not doing everything for them or constantly keeping them stimulated. And it made me think about like, 
I know people who had their parents do everything for them, cleaning the room, uh, buying them whatever they you know wanted to get, you know, ra- you know, for all intents and purposes, raising a spoiled brat. And uh, that person as an adult, it's very hard for them to function because they kind of were used to everything being done for them. Now, Josh and I had the exact opposite where we um, really didn't have a lot. We didn't have our parents uh, really being good parents to us. But in a way, like it did, it helped us become good people. So I often ask myself, like when Mariah, my wife and I, when we uh, finally have a kid, it's like, how do I, how do I put them through just enough turmoil <laughs> to like make them, you know, uh, become a good adult? So I, I know there's a balance there somewhere, but I think that's what all parents are probably asking themselves. Like, where is that balance of doing too much and doing too little? And especially with those first time parents who are worried about, you know, uh, being a really bad parent. I mean, there's a lot going on there. Not, not just good people, but self-confident. You mm-hmm. know that if there's an obstacle, you can handle it because you handled obstacles in mm-hmm. the past. And if we do that for our kids, if we handle all their obstacles, mm-hmm. then when it's time for them to launch into the, the world, they, they struggle. So I'll give you another. I talk about my kids all the time because they're great. Um, but uh, a little victory. My daughter has a little medical issue she's dealing with right now. She got an abnormal lab back and um, is feeling crummy and told the doctor, they said, I need you to get another lab. She called all the labs in where she is and uh, they, they told her um, that there's nothing available for two weeks, no appointments. And she's feeling pretty crummy. Mm. And she said, dad, I'm gonna handle it. I'm gonna go to the lab, show up, I'm gonna stand there and I'm just gonna beg them till they let me in. Mm. And uh, she called me up a couple hours later. She said, yep, they turned away three people, but they let me in, dad. Ah, that's yeah. awesome. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. a victory, right? Yeah. Right. Solving problems, 20 years old, great, way to go. Mm. Right, and, and the problem solving from that doesn't come from a, uh, a list of, well, here are the seven steps you need to take in order to, to um, get the, the blood, because if you just follow those steps, then it's okay. I, step three is wait, was wait two weeks apparently, right? And, and so, but when you are, are presented with a problem and you truly understand you know, the, the, the problem, the, the essence of the problem, then you figure out the, the way around it. And that, that sort of problem solving, that maneuvering, because there are probably 18 other ways that she could have solved it and got the same result. But it doesn't matter that it, it's she found the path that worked for her, and, right? And I didn't get on the phone and say, I'm Dr. Korb. I need you to get my daughter in. Yeah. Sound like a complete jerk. Let them roll their eyes on the other end of the phone and say, I'm sorry, sir, we're busy. <laughs> she solved it herself. Yes. Yeah, yeah and, and I think that's so important. Well, Josh, uh, uh, Josh and Phoenix, I'm going to send you a copy of Dr. Korb's book. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your comments and questions to area code. 937 Yes, indeed. Now, during the lightning round, Doc, here's what we do. We answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response, but not really. What we do is we ramble on a bit, and we, we just talk about the <laughs> question, and eventually we tweeze out something that is pithy that Podcast Sean puts in the show notes so we can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you're listening to this and you want to share something. Nicole has a question for us, Ryan. How do you balance setting boundaries with a child? And allowing them room to explore and learn about who they are. You know, I, I think this is fascinating, Damon, because the this is the the obviously we've needed boundaries for millennia, right? It, even pre-agriculture, we were living in caves. There were boundaries so we didn't get eaten by a you know, apex predator, right? So e- even then, parents needed 
bound to set up boundaries. I think the difference now is quite often we set up these sort of arbitrary boundaries that are in a way harmful to our children. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, we send mixed messages and we, we don't let them explore. I, I mean, when you're starting with boundaries, you start with safety, mm. right? You can't touch the hot stove, mm -hmm. yeah. at, at, you know, the one or two year old. You can't touch the hot stove. You can't touch the electrical outlets. You're going to hold my hand when we're near the street. Yeah. Those kind of boundaries. But you can let them explore and let them ramble. I, I always say never lift a child into a tree. But if they can climb it, they can climb as high as they want because they can get down if they can climb it. Mm. And, and so you have your boundaries. Um, but but also let them operate within their strengths, abilities, and own personal limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was something pithy for you, Sean, to put in the show. It's about the tree climbing. That's solid. Yeah, that's great. I got something uh, pithy for you here. Our desire to control impedes our ability to love. So I think quite often I feel as though I want to control Ella, right? It, and because it, it's a, there's a certain righteousness in me when I do it as well. And... If I'm completely honest, there is a, wow, there's a disdain for her behavior. Mm. And, and that disdain is, is really a mirror reflecting the, my own disdain for parenting, lack of parenting, my own flaws, etc. Yeah. So I think whenever I, whenever I try to control someone, especially my child, it, it often impedes my ability to, to love them, to be loving. Uh, and um, I think sometimes we confuse things that feel loving with the act of loving. It might feel loving in that moment to styrofoam or to, to bubble wrap everything to keep her safe, but that's not an act of love. That's an act of fear. Mm. I'm going to take the next 90 minutes to answer that question because mm. there are so many levels there. The, f the first level is... Um, it has to do with your expectations. Yes. I expect a certain outcome, and if it doesn't go that way, then I'm disappointed. That's yeah. your own personal issues, your own baggage. you got to deal with that. Yes. Um, but you have to make sure your expectations are realistic. So if you have a five-year-old and you're wondering how I can get them to want to clean their room, that's not realistic. Five-year-olds don't want to clean their room. Uh -huh. They might learn how to clean their room, or they might learn that they have to clean their room, but they're not going to want to. And if that's your expectation, you're going to constantly be disappointed in your child, which is really disappointed in your own expectation. Mm. The second thing to know is, you know, we talked about boundaries. And um, if you ever rode a roller coaster, and I'm sure you have, uh, the first thing you do when you get into a roller coaster is you pull that safety bar down. Oh yeah. Mm. And the next thing you do, everybody shakes it. Right, yeah. you yeah. shake it because you want to make sure it's going to be there when you need it. Mm -hmm. Right, that's mm -hmm. what your kids are going to do. Mm -hmm. They're going to shake you. You're going to put your rule, and they're going to shake you. And you mm. can't take that personally. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to test whether or not it, it's a real thing that's going on here. Mm -hmm. So, so that's that's really important to know that they're going to test you. And and I guess the third point to emphasize is, um, you know, Sting says if you love someone, you got to let them go. Right. Um, as your kids get older you have to give them more freedom to be who they are. They have to find their friends and figure out what their passions and interests are, and it may not be yours. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to teens all the time, and I say to them, you've got to help your parents let go. You have to let them know that you're safe by letting them know that you'll be home at a certain time and then come home at a certain time. Mm -hmm. That's how you're preparing them for you going off to college and becoming an adult, because mm -hmm. parenting is traumatizing. 
Parenting is is absolutely traumatized. I mean, we're in the middle Isn't of the night, the <laughs> we're we're up at two in the morning holding our child who who diarrhea all over us and 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 thrown up on us and doing all this. It's traumatizing. So the by the time you have a teenager, we all have parenting PTSD a little bit. Yeah. And and the way you deal with somebody with PTSD is you give them assurances and not just tell them, but you show them mm. over and over it's going to be okay. And that's what I need teens to learn to do to their parents mm. is to show us that it's going to be okay. So when it's time to let go, we as parents are um, able to do that. It's a two-way street. It's really great advice for parents with, with teenagers because, you know, it's, it seems like the parents are always setting the boundaries, but asking the teenagers to do that, um, it's not a huge ask and uh yeah it creates a great relationship with their parents that's great advice um my my pithy answer is this we often don't discover our boundaries until they've been crossed so what i mean by that is there are the obvious boundaries that parents can set don't touch the hot stove hold my hand as we're crossing the street look both ways wear your seatbelt there are these obvious boundaries but then there are some boundaries that aren't so obvious like you know when is the appropriate curfew um, when is the appropriate day, uh, age to start dating? I mean, there, there are these things uh, that I feel like, and again, not having kids, it's so easy to give parenting advice. So you tell me, Damon, how, uh, if I'm way off base here. But I feel like as a parent, you have to be willing to let your kids fail a little bit. So what I mean by that is um, I grew up, like my dad was a very strict Christian father. So I had these boundaries that I was constantly crossing uh, that he had set because they were a little bit too extreme. My mom was on the other side where she gave me no boundaries. So I had to kind of discover, you know, what my boundaries were with her. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think about that as far as like how, how, what can we tell parents to help them maybe be okay with like letting their kids fail a little bit and discovering those boundaries on their own? So, you know, there is no perfect parenting book because every child is different. You mean your book isn't the perfect parenting book? It's really close. In fact, <laughs> you know, what, what, I, what I try to do is I, I, I try to talk in terms of concepts, mm. parenting concepts. These are the big picture things because to apply it to individual children, if I say this is the best way to do this, it really depends on your child, on mm. their temperament and their experiences mm -hmm. because – you're right. Every boundary can be crossed in a different way, and you can't predict and anticipate every single way. Right. So, so yeah, it really depends on on the way your child's going to turn, and then you mm -hmm. fall back on the basics. Yeah. You know, what's the big picture here? Yeah. Why am I upset? Mm -hmm. and, and fall back on that, because if you can model big picture thinking when you're dealing with, that's it, I'm taking away your phone for the next three weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, just because they swore at me, is that really worth taking away their phone? for mm -hmm. three? Maybe they swore at me because they were really mad at me. And maybe there's a reason for them to be mad. You know, you have mm -hmm. to step back and see the big picture. Um, but yeah, they'll cross boundaries you never even knew existed. Yeah. Right. Now, now, is it true, though, that we also, we set up boundaries that don't need to exist? And that can be as big of a problem is not setting up boundaries, right? But by being too rigid in our thinking. And as you said so eloquently, I, in fact, Sean, another pithy answer for you was about when you're disappointing your kids, you're disappointing your own expectations, right? And, um, that has to do with setting up, I'm not going to say the wrong boundaries, but inappropriate boundaries. Mm. Yeah, don't chew with your mouth open when you're two. Well, don't, don't, get, <laughs> don't get dirty when you're five, right? I mean, that... They're supposed to get dirty. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have to really think about what's, what's the purpose of our boundary and, and why are we setting limits here? I, I tell when I talk to parent groups, one of the things I say is, is there's uh, five H's that kids have to do, teens have to do. And if they're doing that, 
you got a pretty good kid and you're going to be okay. And that's take care of your health, which is exercise, sleep, nutrition, Mm -hmm. take care of your hygiene, shower, brush your teeth, put on deodorant, take care of your homework, do your household chores, and then hang out with your Mm -hmm. friends. And if Uh, you're doing those five things, you're learning the lessons that you need in order to be successful. You know why I've picked those is because none of those things really um, help kids in the immediate uh, in the media, doing your homework, that's not going to help me now. It's going to help me years down the road. Right. Um, wearing deodorant, I can't smell my own stink. I uh-huh. don't know that I stink. It's because I know that I may show up somewhere and somebody else may st- smell my stink. That's uh-huh. why I put on deodorant. So you've got a forward-thinking kid if they can do those five things. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. all these other boundaries and all these other rules, um, I, that room has to be perfectly clean. No, it has to be clean when grandma's coming over. Uh-huh. It doesn't have to be clean all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's dialing back your expectations, not just in a reasonable way, but, but in a way that's not going to drive you crazy as a parent. Mm. Absolutely. And that's yeah. minimalism, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe a, a question to go along with Nicole's here is, you know, not just how do you set these boundaries up, but like having a plan for dealing for when these boundaries are crossed. Like I think about um, a couple friends of mine who were parents and they have a teenage son who has crossed some boundaries. And certainly there are repercussions and they have those, uh, you know, those, those punishments or whatever it is that, that uh, they gave to him. But they also really sat with him and was like, well, how did, it, how did it make you feel that you crossed this boundary? And he, you know, he had to work with, uh, you know, kind of gaining his parents' trust back. And like they worked together to figure out a way like, okay, like I understand that you broke our trust. Let's talk about how we can get that back and uh, really helping him learn from crossing that boundary. I I think is uh, that's something that I want to do when I'm a parent easier said than done. I'm sure. Absolutely. Cause you want to react immediately, right? You are, your pride has been hurt when somebody, when somebody, uh, when your child doesn't do what you tell them to do. Mm -hmm. And so you want to react, but yeah, stepping back. In fact, that's what therapy is. A lot of therapy when families go to therapy is, well, what did you do? And why did you do that? And why did you feel that way? Yeah. And, and what could you do next time? And, and the more you do that, you kind of get this pocket of uh, options that you can, you can pull out when your child is struggling or making a difficult choice. Yeah. All right. Before we get into our listener comments and our added value segment today, it looks like we got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, how do you support a child if they rebel against everything they've been taught? How do you deliver difficult news to young children? How can we as parents help messy kids be less messy? How can I help my child manage their anger and sad emotions? Plus tips for raising an independent child and a million more questions for Dr. Korb and The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, listen to The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit theminimalists.com support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. Plus, private podcast subscribers gain access to hundreds of hours of private archives. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee, and it keeps our show 100% advertisement-free. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, this is Marissa from South Bend, Indiana. I recently had a packing party for my iPhone. I removed all my apps from the home screen, which is different than deleting them. This means they will just be on the last page, and you have to search for it by name to bring it up. Then for two weeks, when I needed an app, I would add it back to my home screen. After the two weeks were done, I deleted all the apps I didn't use anymore. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Jennifer in Rochester, New York. I have two short comments. One is to Katrina, who was on Podcast 43. She had a question about the wedding gift. 
I just wanted to remind everybody that instead of asking for experienced gifts or not asking for gifts, you can also ask for donations to your favorite charity. My cousin did this at her wedding, and it was wonderful. You could leave a donation, and you could leave your name along with the donation so they would know that you gifted to them. Concerning your podcast with Rich Roll, I wanted to remind everyone about the grocery store Aldi. If it is in your city, please check it out. They're having a larger and larger assortment of organic foods. They have grass-fed beef you can purchase, and it's very affordable. All right, thank you so much to Dr. Damon Korb for joining us today. Check out his book. It's called Raising an Organized Child. You can follow him on social media. He's just at Dr. Korb. We'll also put a link to his website in the show notes. He, By the way, he has a new course coming out about organized students. So if you follow him on social media, at Dr. Korb, you'll be able to get updates about that as soon as it's available. And uh, for our added value segment this week, Ryan... I want to talk about, since I thought this was appropriate, so we're talking about parenting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel powerless as a parent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You really make parenting not sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what does Rob Bell say? That, that uh, your number one job as a parent is to enjoy your kids. And your number one job is to not kill your kids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do at times feel powerless. So... Mm. Our friend Matt Carney has a new album coming out. He actually, I don't know if you know this, I did a quarantine conversation with him over on Patreon, and we were the first place that he announced the name of his new album. He just announced it publicly, but privately on our private podcast, uh, Matt Carney talked about the name for his new album, which is called January Flower. Mm. It comes out in May, but he just put out a new song called Powerless. It's the the first song on the album. So let's wrap up this episode with that song at the end, Powerless by Matt Carney from his forthcoming album, January Flower. And real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of The Minimalists. A lot of you have been asking about behind the scenes from our new film, Less Is Now, which is available on Netflix. And uh, we have a bunch of footage, but Matt did a really great job. Matt DiVella, our director, he, on his YouTube channel, he made a video called How I Got My Film on Netflix. You would not believe how many people will get a hold of me. I have a documentary. Can you help me get on Netflix? Oh, here's the video for it. Yeah, this this is beautiful. And what he does is he actually talks about how we got turned down by Netflix several times mm-hmm. with our first film until, and, and the alternate routes that we took. And eventually it ended up on Netflix, how it got there. But he also shares a lot of the process of making the new film and the tremendous failures that we went through over a four-year period. You know, we thought it was going to take four months. It ended up taking four years to make this film. And you get to see some of the aspects uh, that we recorded. In, in fact, some deleted scenes. Ryan had this overdose scene, and you mm. get to see parts of that. And so well, let's just put a link to that, Sean. Uh, if we can put a link to that in the show notes. It's called How I Got My Film on Netflix. It's on Matt Diavella's YouTube channel. But it includes a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes from Les is now you can follow the minimalists on facebook twitter and instagram at the minimalists come to one of our live podcast shows visit the minimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you if you have a question comment or minimalism tip for our podcast email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists.com comment on this episode youtube.com slash the minimalist and if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list over at the minimalists.com you'll also receive our simple sunday emails And if you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things.
because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Flashing floods.